Welcome to the Journey Ahead podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. I'm Tom from Volume 1, which presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, with support from our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Here's your host, Lisa Wells. I'm Lisa Wells, Dementia Care Specialist with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, and you're listening to a podcast on aging well in the Chippewa Valley. The goal of the podcast is to provide education about aging well, living with dementia, and staying active and healthy in the community. So thank you for joining us. Today, we will discuss the importance of planning ahead. We plan for birthdays and weddings, anniversaries, vacations, and so much more, but we tend to put off planning for when we can no longer make medical or financial decisions for ourselves. Who will make decisions for us if we cannot? So here to discuss our topic is our guest, Peter Groskopf from Groskopf Law Office. Thank you for joining us, Peter. Good morning, Lisa. So from your experience, you know, why do people put off planning ahead? What's the deal? Why do they put it off? Um, I think part of it is just um, normal inertia, you know, procrastination. They don't want to deal with it. Uh, thinking about having uh, dementia or thinking about requiring a power of attorney to manage your affairs is not something pleasant, so it's mm-hmm. easy to put off. Mm-hmm. I know when I was talking about it with my family years ago, it, they were, they, it was more like, well, if we talk about it, then it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of people who say that about wills, too that they don't want to do a will because it's sort of like opening the door to death, mm-hmm. which is, you know, really not true at all, of course, mm-hmm. but it's the thinking. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, who who really needs a power of attorney? You know, do we need it when we get older? Do we need it like when we get sick? I mean, who who really needs one? Well, I usually tell people that pretty much everyone over the age of 18 ought to have powers of attorney. And those include both um, health care or medical power of attorney, as well as financial power of attorney. And one thing to remind people is there have been a lot of famous cases about people who did not have powers of attorney. For example, Karen Ann Quinlan, uh, Terry Schiavo, among others. Mm-hmm. And those were all very young people who had not done any advanced planning and wound up um, in uh, you know, terrible medical conditions that lasted for years and years and years and went through the courts for years and years and years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, re- I remember that. Mm-hmm. Right. So anybody over the age of 18 should have a power of attorney for health care and finance. So can you, so let's talk a little bit about what's the difference? Well, the, the difference basically is the health care power of attorney, like it sounds, is for making health care or medical decisions. And so you can appoint an agent who can make those decisions for you. With the financial power of attorney, the financial power of attorney is to manage finances. And the financial power of attorney has evolved over the years. It used to be that the financial power of attorney was limited to kind of specific circumstances, such as selling a house long distance when you couldn't be on location, things of that nature. But it's evolved into what's called a durable power of attorney. And what the durable part simply means is that it's intended to remain in effect even after a person becomes incompetent. Mm -hmm. And so that has become extremely important now for planning for dementia, Mm -hmm. uh, planning for that uh, period of time when a person is not able to manage their finances. But equally important, I've got a lot of 
my older clients who simply don't want to manage their finances mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. They're still competent. They just don't want to do it. So mm-hmm. they'd like to have somebody step in and help. So what are some what are some questions or what are some things on the on the power of attorney for healthcare? Um, one of the important questions is do you want to give your agent authority to have you admitted to a nursing home mm-hmm. or community-based residential facility? And the reason I point that out is is a couple things. Number one, a lot of people kind of instinctively say, no, I don't want to go to a nursing home, so I'm going to check no to mm-hmm. that. But you really want to say yes to that because if the time comes when you have to go to a nursing home or a community-based residential facility, think like assisted living, mm-hmm. then if you've said no to that and you're not able to admit yourself, then the family will likely have to go through a guardianship and protective placement, which is a court procedure, which is much more time-consuming, it's much more expensive, and it can be ongoing for years and years. So that's why you really want to say yes to that. Mm -hmm. Um, The other reason I point that out is because um, the Wisconsin Power of Attorney asks that question, but you could go to another state, for example, Minnesota or Illinois, and get a perfectly fine healthcare power of attorney from those states that simply don't work in Wisconsin because they don't ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Other questions that are asked in the healthcare power of attorney would be, for example, whether or not you want um, nutrition uh, when the time comes, when you want feeding tubes. And there's also a spot where you can put down your own statement of your preferences, desires, or limitations mm-hmm. or restrictions. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that are asked. Okay. So before we go into the uh, power of attorney for finance, can you talk a little bit about, you know, I've seen the state power of attorney for healthcare document. There's, there's other ones too. Right. Um, is there one that, I mean, is one better or the other? Or if I, let's say I'm going to Florida, I'm a, I'm a snowbird and I want to go live in Florida for four, six months. Mm-hmm. Do I need two separate power of attorney for healthcare documents or can you talk about that? Sure. Um, the Wisconsin Healthcare Power of Attorney um, has a statutory form, and uh, that's found in the statutes. And um, most facilities originally started with that, but many of the institutions, medical institutions in the area, have adopted their own version of that. So I think Mayo has their own version, Sacred Heart has their own ba- version et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's properly filled out and, and completed and witnessed and all of that, um, then they do work fine. So they're, they're all, they all work fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you travel to another state, um, then they should be valid in that other state as long as they're valid here in Wisconsin. However, what I tell people is that if you're going to stay uh, for an extended period of time, you know, not just a couple of weeks, in that other state, then you really ought to consider having that second power of attorney. And the reason is just a practical one, because if you're in an emergency or crisis and you're needing to use that healthcare power of attorney, you want a form that's going to be familiar to the people who are going to be looking Mm, at it. mm -hmm. And I've had uh, lots of experiences where people have their Wisconsin form, and then it requires me to convince or persuade some medical provider in another state that it, in fact, really is valid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that can be difficult. Sure, sure. So you mentioned um, witnessed. 
Mm-hmm. So is that something that um, a person has to go to to you for a power of attorney for health care to get witness? Do they have to have their doctor witness? Who does it have to be notarized? How does it, how does that work? Um, it doesn't have to be notarized. It does require two witnesses, but they just simply have to be disinterested witnesses. So in other words, somebody who doesn't have some sort of interest in, in your estate. Um, and they also should be somebody who's over the age of 18, and it can't be a, one of your medical providers. So you really couldn't have your doctor be the witness, mm-hmm, and, you, mm-hmm. and you couldn't, if you're in a nursing home at the time, you couldn't have some of the staff people be your witnesses. Now you could, in the nursing home, have other people working at the nursing home be witnesses, mm-hmm. like in the social work department or chaplain's office, things like that. Okay. But you do need to have two witnesses. So even, you know, let's say I'm I'm at home and I'm thinking, oh, maybe my neighbors right. or maybe a friend, somebody like that. that sure. That would work. That would work okay. just fine. Okay. And then who would you suggest be, you know, be that first agent? Do you want that to be a spouse? Do you want that to be your adult children? You know, how, what would you suggest? Um, I, I think that most people typically name their spouse as first choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just kind of logical as far as the person who should be making those decisions. The exception to that, however, would be if, if both, uh, both people in that couple are aging, they might not want to name each other as the first choice, but mm. instead might want to go to a younger generation. Okay. Um, you know, just because you don't, you don't know if that person's going to be competent or even if they're competent, maybe they don't want to be making those tough decisions at a tough time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then who should have a copy of the power of attorney? Well, I recommend that you um, give a copy to your regular treating doctor so it can be put as part of your chart. You can also uh, give a copy to any of the local hospitals that they can put in their files. So if you think you're going to be going to Mayo, you can put a copy there or Sacred Heart or St. Joe's or, or wherever. Um, the, the problem sometimes with the hospital is they get so many of these healthcare power of attorneys on file that in an emergency, sometimes it's difficult for them to find it, which is why it's a good idea to have it part of your chart with your regular treating doctor. You can also give copies to your agents if you wish. Some people don't choose to do that, but instead just tell their agents where the forms mm, are located. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and one reason is, is because sometimes people change these documents over time because the choices you make when you're age 50 might not be the same choices you would make when you're 65 or mm-hmm, 85. Mm-hmm. And so very often these forms get changed. So can you talk about that? Because if, if they do change it, then does somebody just rip up the one they had before and then create a new one? Can you do that? Or how does that work? Yeah, you can do that. You can physically destroy the form. Um, you can also just, by doing a new form, revoke the other one because the one later in time will take precedence over the earlier one in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a good idea to destroy the old ones if you don't want people to be confused or grab the wrong one or mm-hmm. be mixed up. Sure. So that, that's what you can do. Because you're right, because you, how you feel about something when you're 18 might be a little bit different when you're 65 or 75, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yep. So one question that I that I get a lot or when I talk, when I'm working with families too, is you know I'll ask if they have a power of attorney for health care. And uh, because I work with people living with dementia, oftentimes I'll ask, you know, is the power of attorney for health care activated? Mm-hmm. And families will say right away, oh, well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm their power of attorney. But 
when I try to explain to them what it means to be activated, they, they're not sure and they've never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what it means to be, to have an activated power of attorney and when somebody would have that? Sure. Um, typically with the statutory healthcare power of attorney and probably most of the other ones out there, um, the form requires activation, meaning that two doctors need to certify that the individual is no longer having, no longer has capacity to make their medical decisions. And by doing that, that activates the healthcare power of attorney so that the agent uh, first in line can make those decisions. Or if the first in line agent is not available, then it can move on down to the second in line, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it is possible to do the form so that it does not require activation. However, only an attorney-drafted form can do that. If you get one of the statutory ones or one of the other ones from like a facility like a hospital or a clinic, uh, those require activation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is that um, a whole nother, you know, forms to fill out or is that just... You know what is what does that look like? Does, is that attached to the original power of attorney? The activation? Yes. Yeah. Typically, it's a, um, a one-page form, and it's got preprinted language in it that states that the doctors have examined the person and have uh, determined that that person lacks capacity to make their medical decisions, and so then two doctors will sign off on that form, mm-hmm. and then you would attach it to the health care power of attorney to make sure that if somebody's looking at the health care power of attorney, they also see the activation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then could it be reversed? Yes, it can be reversed, and uh, that does sometimes happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, for example, let's say a person has a stroke, and the stroke can be debilitating, they can lose uh, competence, um, but they can also recover. Mm-hmm. And so if and when they do recover, the doctors can sign another form, basically deactivating that activation mm-hmm. so that, again, the person has capacity to make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. So, again, you would attach that form to the health care power of attorney to make sure anybody looking at the health care power of attorney form can also see that the doctors have deactivated the activation. Right. Okay. Okay. Now, we've talked about the power of attorney for health care. Can you talk about power of attorney for finance? And then the next question would be, you know, there's some confusion between power of attorney for finance and living will, mm-hmm. right? Could you maybe talk about the difference with yeah, that too? Mm-hmm. Sure. Let, let's talk about the living will first, if that's okay. all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the living will, basically this is a direct statement from the signer or maker to their healthcare professionals Um, on certain choices that have been made. And so, in other words, a person can do this living will that says that um, they don't want to have um, uh, fluids or they don't want, um, you know, hydration, they don't want feeding tubes, things like that. And so it's a direct statement from that maker to the healthcare providers. And the advantage of that is that nobody has to make a difficult decision at a difficult time because Mm -hmm. the maker's already made that. The limitation on it is that it's only usable under two circumstances, which are a terminal condition or a a persistent vegetative state. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of medical uh, conditions which are neither one. So, for example, a person with Alzheimer's, 
uh, or dementia typically is not considered to be in a terminal condition or certainly not a persistent vegetative state. Mm -hmm. And so there the living will would not have any application, in which case the person would really want to have the health care power of attorney. Now, it's okay to have both the living will and the health care power of attorney, but you want to make sure they're, that they're not inconsistent with each other. Mm-hmm. They'd have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Do, so you suggest that people should have both? If a person comes to me with that question, I typically say if you're only going to have one, the one you want is the health care power of attorney because it's a much broader document, more usable in more mm-hmm. circumstances, and that's the one... If you have to go to a nursing home, you want you need that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're only going to have one, that's the one you want. If you want to have both, which is not a bad idea, um, then certainly you can do both. But again, make sure they're consistent. And the living well now, is that kind of the same thing where you have to have some witnesses? Yes. Okay. Right. And it's, again, a statutory form, and you can get the form freely at a lot of places. Um, I mentioned hospitals, clinics, um, ADRC, I believe, yep, has we, them. Yeah, we do have um, the POA for healthcare and the living well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, they're also available online at a number of places, uh, including Department of Health Services uh, website, mm-hmm. and so they're freely available at a lot of places. Okay. Well, before we go get into talking a little bit more, more about the power of return for finance, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We'll get back to the podcast in a minute, but first I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory. We're excited to have their support for the podcast because just like us, they're locally owned and operated. If you or someone you care about needs medical equipment or supplies, wheelchairs, walkers, hospital beds, portable oxygen concentrators, even CPAPs and BiPAPs, Grace Home Respiratory is right there to help. They're committed to helping you live a life of independence. They realize that shopping for the specialty medical products you need can be a challenge, which is why being locally owned and operated is key. They do everything in-house from their location right in Altoona. So if you have a question about billing or anything else, you know you'll be talking to someone from just down the road. Find out more about Grace Home Respiratory online at ghr-ec.com, or you can call them toll-free at 877-230-1622. Now... Back to the podcast. Well, welcome back. We're here with Peter Grosskopf talking about a pretty important topic, and that is um, the importance of planning ahead. And so we left off, Peter, um, talking, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the power of attorney for finance and maybe some of the questions or things that are, that are on that document. Sure. Um, there's a statutory form for the financial power of attorney. And again, that would be a durable power of attorney, meaning that it's intended to remain effective even after a person becomes incompetent. Um, On the statutory uh, durable power of attorney form, it's uh, fairly simple to fill out. So name, address kind of information. Again, it has to be witnessed by um, two witnesses. Even better, it needs to be notarized Mm -hmm. or should be notarized um, because that makes it recordable in case it needs to be used for handling real estate matters. Mm -hmm. Um, With the statutory form, it's a relatively uh, simple set of documents or a simple set of questions and issues. So it goes through, for example, uh, things that you can designate that your agent can do. And so what a person can do, for example, is look at this list of of, uh, possible 
uh, powers and then initial the ones that they approve or at the very end there's a general one that says all of the above and you can do that one as well. Mm -hmm. There's also some limitations on this document that it cannot do, at least under the statutory form. So for example, it does not allow the agent to make um, beneficiary designations uh, it also does not allow the agent to make gifts of your property. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with the statutory power of attorney, in my opinion, is that there are a lot of third parties, you know, places like banks, insurance companies, you know, things like that, that won't honor this power of attorney because it is so simple. Um, and another problem with it is is that there are a lot of people who, as part of their planning, would like their agent to be able to make some gifts of property. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, a real common one um, is that you that the um, agent could make gifts up to the amount of the annual gift tax exclusion, which right now is about $15,000 per year per person. Um, another one would be to say something like, you can make gifts to my children, but it has to be in equal shares to all of my children, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Another real common one in, in, in my practice, because I deal with a lot of uh, older clients, is that as part of Medicaid planning, uh, one of the requirements typically is to get assets out of the name of the person who will be on Medicaid and into the name of the spouse. Mm-hmm. And again, if you don't have that kind of authority in the power of attorney, the alternative is to go to court and to get a guardianship with court orders to make those transfers, which, again, is much, much more expensive than powers of attorney and uh, more time-consuming. And you never know if a court will grant that authority. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit um, less certain. And, boy, that's something that – that's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> We could it is. really <laughs> talk a lot about that. Yes, um, so with the power of attorney for healthcare, you, you know, we talked about that it has to be for it to be it has to be activated, right? For that first agent to take over. So, with the power of attorney for finance, now that's a little different, isn't it? It is different um, because you can either make the document so that it's effective immediately and does not require any activation, or you can make it so that it does require activation. Or what I do sometimes in when I draft the forms myself is we do a hybrid of the two. So if it's the spouse who is the first choice of agent, it doesn't require activation. But if it's anybody else, it does require activation. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of my default. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason or the logic behind that is, is that in most uh, cases, I think with a couple, they already have access to most of their financial accounts anyway, because most of them might be joint. Mm-hmm. And so you're really not doing very much to give that person authority to manage the accounts. But for anybody else, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the the choice that you might make when you're age 50 could be different than the choice you make when you're age 85. So like when you're 50, you want the protection of knowing that it must be activated before a person can use it. But if you're 85, you don't want to have to go through that bother and hassle of having a doctor tell you you're not able to manage your finances. Mm -hmm. Or again, there's a lot of my clients who simply want a son or daughter to step in and help out. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned earlier about banks and insurance and other places that may not accept the power of attorney for finance. Right. So are there forms that people would, other forms people would have to get to 
be able to have, you know, let's say I'm a, I'm a daughter and I want to help my mom uh, with some banking. Do they, do banks, most banks have forms? Is that um, how that works? Yeah, most banks have their own forms, which is um, a plus and a minus. And the, uh, for example, if you um, went to local bank, uh, they they typically have their own power of attorney form. It's typically designated per account, so you would have to sign a different power of attorney for every account. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes it a little bit cumbersome. Um, the other thing is that some financial institutions have their own power of attorney. And I, I won't pick on anybody, but very often it's some of the major companies around the country that have their own power of attorney, and they would prefer you to use their power of attorney rather than, for example, the Wisconsin statutory power of attorney or even an attorney-drafted mm-hmm. power of attorney. And, and the problem that that has created is that if you are competent and don't really need the power of attorney, then it's not an issue but if you've become incompetent so that you can't sign a new power of attorney, mm-hmm. but you haven't signed one of the powers of attorney for that particular institution, you're kind of out of luck. And again, uh, your choice or option would be to uh, get a guardianship, which again is not, not the best choice. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about that because that's what we see a lot is that you know people don't have that power of attorney for healthcare finance and they're in a position where you know that dementia is advanced and they're no longer able to do that. And that's really scary when people come to our office and it's like, oh no, because we know that the next step would be guardianship. Right. And, and actually the same thing happens with healthcare power of attorney, because I can't tell you how many times I've met with people and I ask if you've got healthcare power of attorney and financial power of attorney and, and the the, the family member says, well, we've got the forms at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just haven't filled them out yet. Well, if they've become incompetent, if that person has become incompetent and no longer can fill them out, then the choice is going to be guardianship. Guardianship is a court procedure. Um, it requires um, getting family information because we need to give notice to all of the family members who are entitled to notice. So in the case of a, a parent, for example, we need to give notice to the spouse and all of their children. And um, that that's a cumbersome process. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do both a temporary guardianship and a permanent guardianship. A temporary guardianship is often used if we need some immediate action because we can get a temporary guardian, depending on the court, sometimes in a matter of a couple of days, sometimes a matter of a couple of weeks. In, with a permanent guardianship, the process is a little bit more difficult because one of the requirements is that we have to get a physician's report, mm, which mm-hmm. means that the person needs to be examined by a physician. The physician, uh, physician or psychologist fills out the form indicating that, in their opinion, the person is incompetent. Um, the process also requires that the individual... Um, has a guardian ad litem appointed for their benefit. Mm -hmm. And that's just another attorney who's appointed to look out for the best interests of that individual. Mm. The individual named a ward or prospective ward also has the right to adversary counsel if they wish. And so there could be three attorneys involved or more involved with a typical guardianship, which makes the process, again, more expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are basically the processes 
that one of the things that I'd mentioned too is that if they don't have the health care power of attorney, in addition to the guardianship, we also have to do what's called a protective placement, mm. which in effect we're asking the court to issue an order stating that the person needs to be at a particular facility. And when we do that, that also brings in the county as a party because they need to do what's called a comprehensive evaluation, which is a report to the court giving the opinion of the social worker as far as whether the person needs guardianship and protective placement, Mm -hmm. and if so, where. Mm -hmm. And so talking about guardianship now, this is something that um, people would, they couldn't do this on their own. They would have to go, they would need to talk to an attorney, correct? Um, I would say 99% yes. Um, Technically, a person doesn't require an attorney, but I think it's such a process that most people would feel pretty... uh, overwhelmed yeah. by what's... <laughs> yeah, what's, just hearing you talk, I'm getting a, my heart's starting to beat a little faster. You know? <laughs> right, and, and most people aren't going to try to tackle that on their own. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe 1% of the people try to tackle it, and almost invariably, I think they wind up seeking the assistance of mm-hmm. an attorney anyway. Mm-hmm. And when you say costly, what, what are the dollars here? What are we looking at? Well, I would say for a simple, uncontested guardianship, you're probably looking at at least $1,000, uh, if not more. Mm-hmm. And if it's a contested guardianship, um, I, I just went through one uh, for somebody where it became contested, and uh, then the attorney's fees, just for myself, for example, wound up being well over $3,000, and that's for one attorney. And in that case, again, there were uh, a total of four attorneys involved. And uh, I don't know what everyone else's charges were, but probably in the same realm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a lot of money. Yes, it you is. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a bit. So, okay, I think we're going to take another quick break, Peter. And when we come back, we'll finish up our conversation on planning ahead. Great. I want to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, All Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Mobility challenges don't have to mean leaving the home that you love. All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions specializes in residential and commercial elevators, stairlifts, scooters, and more. The All-Star team offers a free home assessment, and they can help you find the products you need to get around your home and the rest of the world safely and effectively. For example, they have more than 100 scooters in stock, so you'll be sure to find one that meets your needs. You'll find All-Star right here in the Chippewa Valley on Halley Road in Chippewa Falls, and they've got locations in Hudson and La Crosse, too. Learn more by calling All-Star at 715-598-7511 or by visiting allstarmobilityllc.com or allstarelevatorllc.com. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, Peter, we've talked a lot today about power of attorney for healthcare and finance, living well. You know, what, what other type of advanced directives are out there that people need to know about? Um, The other one that's available as a statutory form is what's called an authorization for final disposition. And and basically what that is is a form for giving instructions for burial or cremation or that kind of thing. So it's a form that people can choose to fill out themselves if they wish. They can also have an attorney fill out. Mm -hmm. But you can give direction, for example, as far as who you want to be in charge of making those decisions Uh, You can also give instructions as far as what kind of arrangements you want, for example, between 
a conventional funeral, burial, or cremation, or something different. Um, and you can also uh, direct where you want the money to come from. So does it come from a particular savings account or a particular life insurance mm-hmm. policy, that kind of thing. And a, a lot of people like um, to be able to do that. And I have had a number of uh, cases where I've been involved where the family fight is over who gets to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And I would say particularly in the case of blended marriages. Oh, sure. And, yeah. And sometimes the surviving spouse thinks they should be the one in charge and the children from the first marriage think they should be the ones in charge. And it, it can be a difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. So do you have any tips for, for families? Um, just having the conversation, when to bring it up, um, any last words of really encouraging our population to get these documents completed? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it is important to have this conversation, and by choosing to fill out the forms, that can spark the conversation so that you can talk over with your family what you want, why you want it, who you want to be in charge, and why. Uh, So, for example, it shouldn't necessarily be the oldest child. Mm -hmm. You want it to be the person who's most likely to do what you want. Mm -hmm. And then you can give instructions as far as what you want, and you can do that verbally, you can put it into the forms that we've talked about, and you can do both. And I think doing both is the best idea because you can elaborate to the family on, on what you want and give more specific instructions or, or a guidance as far as what kinds of things you would want to have done. Mm-hmm. How about somebody who's younger, though? You know, um, maybe a 21-year-old or, you know, or a younger population. How do we get them to realize this is important? Well, I, I know that um, a, a lot of places try to get the word out. Um, and I know that the ADRC does that. Mm-hmm. I know that the hospitals do that. I think sometimes it falls on deaf ears for that younger mm-hmm. population. But again, I, when, I, when I'm talking with groups, I try to emphasize, you know, these cases like Karen Ann Quinlan and Terry Schiavo, because those were all very young people who wound up in the circumstances that they they probably never expected to, to mm-hmm. be in. Um, and it's easy to do the forms. Um, I think um, once people get married, uh, start having children, then that kind of brings it on home. Mm-hmm. And so I do find when I'm doing wills for uh, young couples, and, and usually when they have start having children, uh, because that's a whole other topic for a whole different podcast, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they can name guardians for the children, they can create trusts for the children, things like that. Mm-hmm. But then I always emphasize they really ought to do the um, health care power of attorney and financial power of attorney. And sometimes they don't want to pay me to do that. They're, they're not expensive, but because they are available for free from other um, sources, um, they'll take it upon themselves to to do that. Mm-hmm. And then the one, the final thing I tell them is that if they bring in their completed copies to me, I'll review them at no co- at no cost. Oh, okay. And so mm-hmm. then that's kind of an encouragement sure, sure. for them to get it done. So you talked about some of the places where we can get the power of attorney for health care. Um, how about uh, finance? Uh, same places or wh- where can you get that form? Or yeah. should they come right to the attorney? Well, um I think having the statutory uh, financial power of attorney is better than having nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they're not expensive. So 
I really try to encourage people to go to a qualified attorney to have those drafted. Um, and the, uh, you know, the, the advantage of that is that we can really customize it however you want. And, and like I say, they're not expensive. So to do financial power of attorney for a husband and wife, we're talking a couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. so it's not terribly expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but again, if they're going to uh, have the statutory power of attorney, that's better than nothing. They, they are freely available at pretty much the same places where the healthcare power of attorney is available. I think, again, that you, they can get it from the ADRC. I think it's also available on the Department of Health Services uh, website. I know at the ADRC, we um, request people go to um, GUAR. Sure. You've probably heard of GUAR, Greater sure. Wisconsin Agency on Aging Resources. So right. I know it's available on that site as well. Okay. So we've we've really covered a lot of ground here today. And I really hope that after people, after hearing this podcast, that people will be encouraged. It's not scary to go out and complete their power of attorney for health care and finance. Um, it, they, you know, whether you're 18 or, you know, 95, you, we should we should definitely have these important documents. And I just appreciate you coming on today, Peter. And uh, thank you again for being with us. You bet. Thank you. This is Tom from Volume 1. Thanks to Lisa and to her guest for being on the podcast. And thanks to you for listening to Journey Ahead Podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. Volume 1 presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County. And it's all made possible by Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Learn more about this and our other podcasts at volume1.org.